G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Hi, it's Neil Johnson and welcome to this 2020 podcast from The Best of 2020. You can hear The Best of 2020 on Saturdays and Sundays on the Vision Radio Network. The Saturday program airs at 11am Australian Eastern Standard Time. There's been some very concerning scenes witnessed around the globe over the last week, especially the deeply disturbing violence that hit the streets of Sydney's CBD last weekend with a widespread rippling Muslim backlash over a video made in America that makes Muhammad look like a womanizer and a fool. Our Prime Minister says the film's repulsive and this kind of conduct has no place on the streets of our country. The New South Wales Premier Barry O'Farrell is horrified, saying it undermines Australia's successful multicultural society. Keith Souter is an international affairs analyst and director of Global Directions Think Tank. He joined Lee Hatcher and started off by answering the question... Who is behind it, what's it saying, and why does he think it's been put out there? Well, it's all shrouded in mystery because I understand that the person um, who may have made the movie um, is uh, uh, a person who is operating under several names, 17 or 18 different names, a bit of a criminal record. uh, It seems to be that he's a Coptic Christian. The original reports that we were using on Wednesday were that it was financed by an Israeli Jew with property interests, but in, in that Sam Basile apparently doesn't exist. Now we've got another gentleman who operates under a number of different names who might actually be caught out under American law uh, because he's now broken his probation by virtue of what he's done. So he could be in legal problems just simply um, as a result of the, the sort of the legal paraphernalia of the United States. He obviously made a movie with a view, I think, to trying to provoke Muslims, and the Muslims fell for it. If we had not had the riots, my guess no one would have bothered to watch it on on YouTube. Um, everyone who has seen it comments upon the low production values, etc. So it is not a particularly interesting movie in itself. Um, there's also a continuing debate as to whether the 13, 14-minute segment on YouTube is all that exists, and there is in fact this is claimed to be a trailer, but but in fact there may not be a long full-length movie um, in, in existence. But it's had the desired effect. This guy clearly was out to provoke Muslims um, to argue that the Islamic faith makes people very violent, and of course, tragically, that's what we've seen. Why would a Coptic Christian who have their origins in Egypt? Why would why would that person do that? Keith? Well, a person, and of course he's there on his, his operating in a personal capacity yes, on, on behalf of the Coptic Christians, yes. but clearly the Coptic Christians um, claim to go to be one of the earliest churches in the world, um, and uh, they uh, have always had problems since the rise of Islam with, uh, um, um, with their faith in a country which is increasingly Islamic. And so uh, that Egypt, modern-day Egypt, was one of the first territories that Mohammed 
uh, Muhammad's new faith took over, Islam took over. And so um, <clears throat> the, the Coptics have always felt as a uh, persecuted minority within Egypt. Uh, they have, uh, even under the so-called Arab Spring, they continue to be under threat, although, again, one has to emphasize, and this shows the diversity of the Islamic world, in a number of places where Muslim uh, mobs recently have tried to burn down Coptic churches, you've had local Muslims siding with the Christians in preventing that from happening. Um, It's one of these situations where anybody who thinks they understand the situation must be confused. Yes. Were you surprised at both the speed and the severity of the response across the globe and how it's gathered a life of its own from something so fringe? Yeah, well, it is, as you say, it is so fringe, but don't forget this is at least the third time we've had this type of... um, tragedy emerged. A um, quarter of a century ago, the writer Salman Rushdie produced a book which I think is basically unreadable, uh, but to which the Ayatollah Khomeini in Iran said insulted the faith, and a large number of people were killed uh, in a number of countries, including the Japanese interpreter. And then more recently, we've had the dispute over the Danish cartoons, um, again, very provocative, Part of it, I think, if you stand back, Lee, and ask, well, why, why is there this problem? I think, in one sense, you've got two competing cultures. The, in the Islamic tradition, particularly the Arab Islamic tradition, there is a culture of honor. And so honor is number one value. In the Western world, by contrast, money is our number one value. And so everything is ultimately reducible to a question of money. <clears throat> so, for example, the gay Mardi Gras and other sleazy activities that go on, I hear Sydney Conservatives saying, yes, it's an appalling thing, but at the same time it brings a lot of money into Sydney, right? So that's our dominant paradigm. That's the worldview in which we live. Money yes. comes first. Yeah. But in other societies, honour is very important. Honour used to be very important in Australia, a very famous example of this is the guy who built the world's longest freshwater pipeline from Perth out to the goldfields and was hounded to death by the media who said it's impossible to get a pipeline of water to flow uphill into the goldfields um, and who felt his, his honour would be uh, was permanently damaged and shot himself. And of course, tragically, a few months later, the pipeline started in operation and lo and yeah. behold, it's still the world's longest... <laughs> freshwater pipeline yeah. and in this uh, and so it shows in an older society honor was important we've since decided money is much more important but in the islamic tradition clearly honor is still their number one value and from that comes a real anger directed towards the west exactly because we are seen as being in, insulting for a very basic thing which uh, uh, obviously an american coptic christian would know is that you are not to betray muhammad that's why you go around Islamic uh, ga- art galleries, etc. There are no portrayals of, of humans. You have these marvelous uh, designs, but no portrayal of the human body. Mm. And that would include, obviously, you don't portray Muhammad. So this fellow, even, even if he made Muhammad out to be a saint in the movie, nonetheless would be provocative by uh, having him portrayed within a movie. You're not allowed to do that. And this is a, a battle and a tension that has gone back over centuries, really. Well, it is. And this is also, of course, I think another reason for the anger. I think that the, 
the movie, in a sense, is simply the straw that's broken the camel's back. I look at, at the resurgence of Islam as being basically the third stage of Islam. So if you go back 1,300 years, the Prophet Muhammad uh, begins the, the, uh, his interpretation of the faith. He receives, he would say, messages directly from God. Um, and he then starts a cleansing movement within what is the Arabian Peninsula and the beginning of a faith that builds upon what you will find in the Old Testament and the New Testament um, and sees himself, if you like, as a modern reformer but creates a new type of faith or is inspired to create a new type of faith. So you can never refer to Muslims as Mohammedans in the way that you and I would be referred to as Christians. So these are people who followed the book, not Muhammad. They follow the book. That means you're not allowed to burn the book, which is the thing that Americans forgot in Afghanistan recently. So you get the beginning of the faith, and it's a very attractive faith. It's a, a faith that appeals to the downtrodden, to the poor, to the marginalized. Mm. Um, and uh, it, it swept rapidly through the Arabian Peninsula, North Africa, and then really wrapped around the, if you like, the equatorial part of the globe and ended up ultimately in present-day Indonesia. It's the western part of Turkey, so, uh, sorry, western part of, of China, mm. uh, the province called, which contains the Uyghurs, Xinjiang. That, that, that's as far as, as the face had extended overland very quickly, if you like, that was part of the old Silk Road. So the, 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 riot, the first stage of Islam is this new cleansing faith which um, has a great belief in science. They are the world leaders in um, uh, astronomy, medicine, mathematics. I work for a TV station which has an Arabic numeral, Channel 7. That's Arabic. So they are the ones who gave us a new form of, of learning. They also translated the old classical Greek text into Arabic and so preserve them from destruction. So for the first wave of the Arab expansion, the Islamic expansion, it was really a period of high progress. A thousand years ago, if you're looking for the most intelligent civilization in the world, it would have been that Islamic civilization. Then you get um, the decay setting in and there's a continuing debate as to what brought on the decay within the Islamic world. It just seems to freeze and then I, I think start to decay. The, if you need a particular date for the beginning of the Second Era, it's 1529 when the Ottoman Empire, which is based in present-day Turkey, tried to um, invade Europe. They were stopped at the gates of Vienna, 1529. Luckily, when, when they left, they left a, a bag of, uh, of brown beans um, behind. And that's the beginning of the coffee invasion of Europe, 1529. Wow. Wow. They, had, they had developed coffee. And I'm sitting here drinking coffee yes. at the moment, Lee. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's the second era. It runs from 1529. Europe, meanwhile, begins its own renaissance. Um, and, and so you get uh, 1592, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. What the Europeans were doing, because the Muslims had blocked the route to China, you had to find other ways of reaching uh, India and China. So the Portuguese went by coast all the way around Africa and then India, etc., reaching you know, Timor, perhaps reaching Victoria, if, they, if that's their boat, which is in the sand down at uh, Warrnambool. And the Spanish went across to the Americas. Uh, and that's how you get 500 years of the European era. 
You're listening to the podcast of one of the segments aired on the Best of 2020 on the Vision Radio Network. Back now with that conversation between Lee Hatcher and international affairs analyst Keith Souter as they discuss the riots held in Sydney last weekend and some of the more modern history of tension between Islam and Christianity. We join the conversation as Keith is explaining to Lee some of what he calls the third phase of Islam's resurgence. The next big change occurs, it's a little unclear, one date may well be the beginning of this third phase of Islam is 1979 with the Iranian Revolution Mm. and Iran, which have been the American police officer in the Middle East, and particularly the role of the Shah. Um, You get that overthrown by the Ayatollah Khomeini, who's Shia, um, and, and brings on a more aggressive form of Iran. Of course, as you know, there's speculation that next month we'll actually have a war between Israel and Iran yes. over nuclear weapons. Yeah. And that then forced the Sunni, the other big division of the faith, to become more aggressive. So bin Laden is a Sunni. Yes. And so he then also developed his own Wahhabi branch, the Wahhabi uh, tribe, if you like, have been in Saudi Arabia for centuries. Saudi Arabia is fueled by oil. So you've got this link between the West's thirst for oil and a more aggressive form of Islam. And, of course, if you go, for example, to London, that has the, now the, the largest mosque in Western Europe financed by Saudi Arabian money. Yeah. So the Saudis are very much into evangelism of, of people in terms of, of converting across to Islam. So we're now seeing a third wave of Islam uh, where, the, if you like, the, the Muslims are much more aggressive, much more assertive and angry because they've had four or five hundred years of oppression by Western countries. And when I talk about the West, I throw in Russia as well. They don't, you know, they, we, we think of the, Russia as being the East and the Cold War. They ignore the Cold War. As far as they were concerned, the Russians and the Americans have both interfered in Islamic countries, obviously Afghanistan. So what, what we're seeing now is this third era of a resurgence Islam, fueled by petrodollars, very angry, and Muslims who have had this seething anger against the West for centuries are now in a position to carry out some of their violence and revenge. Now, not all Muslims are doing that, which means there's yet another development, if I can just go on and make a little more of a long answer, Lee. Another development is that Islam is now a faith which is caught up in a modern world. And the problem for Muslims is how do you accommodate your faith, which is basically a set of instructions for how people are to live in a desert society uh, 1,300 years ago. How do you make that faith appropriate for today? For example, yes. how do you recognize the status of women? So there are a lot of internal debates that Islam has to have. But the problem is that a stupid video, like the one we're discussing, forces all the Muslims to close the ranks. Yes. The response of the U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, Keith, was very notable. Harking back to the so-called Arab Spring, she said the people of Egypt, Libya, Yemen, Tunisia didn't trade the tyranny of a dictator for the tyranny of a mob. So is she saying that after the admittedly and acknowledged tyrannical leaders of those nations, now that they're gone, is there a risk of the mob filling that vacuum? Well, that's exactly it, because clearly what you're seeing, um, uh, to use um, an old expression about the, the, the Egyptian leader, that although he was an unpleasant person, he was at least in America's pocket. Yes. Now he's been overthrown. This has sent shockwaves through the Middle East. This is a person who was a major ally of the United States. 
and the Americans are being seen just to throw him to the wolves. They couldn't have saved him, by the way, but nonetheless, that is the view. It's a reminder of the weakness of America. They can't even protect one of their major allies. Now, what we're seeing with this Arab Spring are, again, the centuries of energy now being unleashed. Now, of course, it's ironic that in the old days, when you had these brutal dictators, if there'd been a demonstration they didn't approve of, they would have shot the demonstrators. And because yes. the foreign media were excluded, we would never have seen a massacre take place in Benghazi. Keith, I'd love to ask you this from your perspective for a program like Open House. How should people with Christian faith be thinking, be responding as they see these scenes? Well, I think what they need to bear in mind is that there is no one central authority within Islam. So we have to be very careful when we generalise, as I've tried to do in this uh, present in my responses. You know, I'm arguing that you, you've got some Muslims who are obviously very moderate, who just want to find a way of developing a, um, an interpretation of the faith that will survive in the modern era. But at the same time, you've got people like the Wahhabis in Saudi Arabia who obviously feel very threatened by modern technology, resent what it's doing to what they see as the interpretation of the faith. Um, so what I took from a Christian point of view, we've got to bear in mind that the Muslim world is not just one vast mass of people. Remember yes. the big mistake we made in the Cold War was to say that there is this big red enemy that begins in Berlin and goes through to Beijing. That overlooked the importance of history, the old antagonisms between the Chinese and the Russians. We were very slow to recognize the splits within the communist world particularly Russia and China after 1961. We've got to make sure we don't make the same mistake again and just refer to all Muslims as though there are 1.4 billion um, homogenous individuals. Clearly, um, if one, I'm, I have to talk about this in cautious terms because it's now subject to a police action, but you remember that last week we had uh, police intervention in a matter in Victoria. It looks as though the hints for this extra, extremist Islamic group were actually first given by members of the Islamic community in Victoria realising that they had potential problems in their midst. Now, all this has got to be subject to a court of law, but what is interesting is that clearly there are moderate Muslims within the Australian community who are very worried about the rise of extremism within their own community. Um, now, what we ought to be doing is try to see if we can make alliances with that more moderate end of the Islamic community. Yes. Because clearly there are some Muslims who are not angry in the sense they're going to turn to violence. They are being provoked by a stupid movie. But they're trying to have a more sophisticated response because they realise that they, the 200 or so people who were involved in the rally yesterday in Sydney have walked into a trap. Here they are provoked by a movie which argues that they are violent. And how did they respond? In a violent violence, way. Yeah. They've walked straight into a trap. Yes. And you've got other cooler heads within the Islamic community trying to say, look, be very careful about how we respond to this because we are being provoked and we are being made to look as though we are a, a, um, a very brutal faith. And, and others would say this is not a good example of what Islam is all about. It's probably good advice for everyone, really, no matter what the faith. Keith Suda, very much appreciate your time. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.